Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons podcast. This week we will be having an all-digital congregation. Please stay tuned to our podcast, social media channels, and YouTube for more information during this time of distancing. Thank you, stay safe, and enjoy. This morning we're going to start our passage in John chapter 20. John chapter 20 verses 1 through 8. I want to, I'd like to read that to you. Um, I'm sure you have heard this passage before. I'm going to ask you to place yourself in the midst of this passage um, as if you were Mary or one of the disciples and listen and think about their experience on this uh, morning. It says, Early in the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went down to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, John, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separated from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had risen from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look at the tomb and saw two angels in white seating where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended into, to the Father. Go ahead, go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went ahead of the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, and she told them that she had seen these things, that he had said these things to her. May God add his blessing as we read, as we have read his word. Let's pray. Lord God, we are thankful that as we come to this point in our faith, as we come to this Easter morning, this Resurrection Sunday, that even though we aren't together, our hope 
is that we will be together soon and that, and more importantly, our hope is in eternity being spent together. Lord, I thank you for your word and the story that we have heard so many times. May it be fresh and new in our minds and in our eyes and in our hearts, Lord, that we would have a sense, the sense that Mary and the disciples had as they went to the tomb. The excitement they had in their faith walk as they walked this road they had not traveled before. They went from being sad and broken, broken hearted, to this excitement of experiencing Jesus. Lord, may we get that excitement this morning from your word. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning we finish up a series we've called The Journey of Stones. We've spent the last six weeks looking at the passages, and I don't know if you can see the wheelbarrow over here. I was, uh, my hope was that it would be empty, obviously. Uh, that's been a challenge. No one's been able to be here. But on the other hand, I, I hope that you've gone around your yard and found some stones to help you remember uh, those things in life that you need to work on and change. Things that maybe aren't as good as... Uh, you would like them to be. Maybe areas where God is continuing to work in your life. Hopefully, this is a defining moment in your life. There are a few things I want to rem remind you that I believe that uh, God may be challenging you with this morning. As you can see uh, on the screen, it says, uh, things that I need to be working on. Has the way to the world taken its toll on me? Am I living in the light of hope that I have in Jesus? Have you seen the Lord? And what makes this Easter morning so special? My prayer is that one of those sticks out this morning as something for you to focus on as we hear God's word. I know you've heard this story many times. It, You've probably read it, you remember the story as a child, there are all kinds of books where it has been placed, and honestly it's the central part of our faith, this moment in time where Jesus would go to the cross, so dark and uh, broken and uh, just a very dark and difficult day, and we are reminded that he would come from that grave alive on Sunday morning. Our hope, our excitement, it's exciting to remember that. But if you focus on the first 10 verses of this passage, we get a sense that Jesus' friends were anything but hopeful. They were emotionally drained, broken, wore out. They had lost all hope. Remember, they had watched their friend murdered in public. Scorned, given the most gruesome death imaginable, and they could do nothing about it. They watched this happen, and they were horrified, traumatized. They had witnessed it and its aftermath. They had gotten his body broken, as scripture tells us, barely recognizable. They cleaned it up. And they took it to the grave. And it's at this point that Mary in the morning 
is going to the grave to mourn her loss. And the only thing worse than death in her mind is that when she gets there, the grave has been robbed. Robbed, opened up. Who would want to open a grave and roll away a stone unless they had bad intentions? Intentions to steal maybe something that was put in there along with it. So let's talk a bit about how the Jews handled death back in those times, very different than we do today. You see, back then when you died, you would have about eight hours max. They would take a body, they would clean it up, they would, uh, would uh, sprinkle it with uh, different spices, things that would help to not, so it didn't smell. Because you may remember uh, in the passage where Jesus comes and talks about, uh, asks where Lazarus's body is, uh, the King James says, he stinketh. And so that time they didn't have embalming in ways to preserve the body. And so you would have about eight hours. The person's body would be uh, wrapped in linen, uh, wrapped up and covered, and it would be set out for the family to gather and grieve for a short time, a very short time, where um, then in the afternoon or that evening there would be uh, a quick a ceremony and the family members would carry that body. Um, yeah, they carried the body. Um, one person would put that body over their shoulder, somehow carry that dead body. It was a place of honor in some uh, ways uh, to carry that body of their loved one. And if you were uh, poor, you would, be, uh, you would buy a, a plot in a field. You, know, you may remember the, the potter's field where they uh, would bury uh, the, actually the money that uh, Judas got. The Pharisees would buy that potter's field um, to bury people, and they buried people differently then. They would dig a vertical hole, and they would sink them down in there, and then they would cover it up. And so uh, that's how people were buried back then. Or if you were of a rich descent, as uh, Jesus wasn't of rich descent, but you may remember that Joseph of Arimathea had his own tomb. So if you were a, a person of money, you would, you would have the finances, the availability to buy what was a tomb or a chamber into the side of the, of the mountain, and it would be carved out. And normally the chamber would have two, um, two chambers inside. The first chamber would be a place where there were shelves on the side, and that's where the body would go originally. The second chamber uh, would be where the body would go after it had decomposed. And so how it worked is that they would literally carry the person's body um, from their house to this tomb, put it in on the ledge or on the shelf on the side. It was carved right in. They would set it there with uh, the spices that, were, uh, that they were uh, covered in, and they would leave it there. And then when they would leave, they would roll the stone across, over the door. One reason would be to keep the smell inside, uh, keep the animals out, anything that could have um, drugged the body away, essentially. And they would whitewash that, uh, that stone. And the reason they whitewashed that stone was so that they could um, let the other Jews know that there was a dead body there. There was a fresh dead body there. 
And uh, if you know anything about Jewish culture, you know there is uh, the, one of the biggest uh, unclean things that a Jew could do would be to touch a dead body. Uh, if you came in contact with a dead body, you would be seven days unclean, ritually unclean. And so you, um, you wouldn't uh, be able to do some things, kind of uh, what we would call maybe today quarantined, right? Seven days of not being with people, not being uh, able to worship like they normally would. They were unclean. And so they would uh, roll that stone into its place. They would whitewash the tomb so that people knew that the body was in there. And they would leave it closed. And it would stay closed until the next person in that family who needed, who had passed away would need, have need of that tomb. And then it would be rolled away. It would be opened back up. The uh, bones actually would be collected at that time. And they would be put in the second chamber with uh, all the others in that family or extended family and they would use the shelf for the next person. So there was no reason for that, that uh, stone to be rolled away. Um, you may remember uh, in the Old Testament in Genesis, uh, Jacob talks about being buried with his fathers. And uh, it's in Genesis 49:29. He says, bury me with my fathers in the cave which is, uh, which is on Ephraim, the Hittites field. And so that's what it meant to be buried with your fathers. Your bones would be then put in that second chamber with all of your relatives, ancestors who had come before you. And there are uh, pictures of ruins um, that show that they would neatly place the bones in a pile, uh, in different piles, one next to the other uh, in that chamber. And that's how funerals went. They don't go that way these days. So... Um, so when Mary shows up at the tomb and sees that this rock, this stone has been rolled away. Mind you, it's a, it's a big stone. It's not something uh, that any one person would just be able to just move easily. But it's rolled away and then it's rolled away. And why couldn't people have just left it alone? They're already traumatized over what had happened. And when she looks, she sees it, there's just a cloth and that he's not in there. His shroud, uh, or his linens, what they used to cover his face, is laying on that shelf. And I'm sure she thought, who does this? Who would steal the body of Jesus? And in her, remor uh, in her remorse and pain, she can only see that things have gotten worse that she can't even go and grieve the loss of Jesus because he's not there. There was no hope left. It says she screams and runs to tell someone. And at that moment for Mary, that stone rolled away meant total hopelessness. And yet for today, that stone rolled away for us means hope. Hope that somehow Jesus had conquered the grave. He had conquered the grave. He had somehow lived a perfect life, gone to the cross, been crucified, died, as Scripture tells us, and somehow had come back to life. That's not something we experience on a regular basis, really never. 
And so that sometimes is hard to grasp in our minds. But I love the second half of this passage because um, as they are talking and Peter and John come to the, to the tomb and they see the, the stone has been rolled away and they go inside and they're just, I, I assume they're looking to see if the body is somewhere else, maybe in the back chamber, that someone has moved the body, that something is not uh, like it seems. And at that moment, Mary is outside the tomb, totally devastated. And she meets up with who she thinks is the gardener. And she's asked, why are you crying? What are you looking for? And she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Totally distraught at that moment. That rolled away stone hopelessness. And yet in this moment, Jesus calls her by name. Jesus says to her, Mary. He says it one time. And she turns around and realizes that it's Jesus. I can't help but think of those people in my life who have gone to be with the Lord. I can still hear their voice when they said my name. My grandparents, when they would call out my name. My family members who are no longer with us. You know what I'm talking about, when they would call us by name. Sometimes, for me, it was, I was getting yelled at. So they were being, uh, that name was not quietly and peacefully said. But rather it was, Daniel! Or Daniel William, if I was really bad. I can still remember a time when I was just a tyke. And my family and I decided that we were going to, my family, I should say, my cousins and I, my young cousins and I, decided that we were going to sneak some peas out of my grandfather's favored pea patch. Now, if you knew anything about my grandparents on my mom's side, uh, they always had an awesome garden. Both families had good gardens, but... My grandpa on my, on my mom's side always had uh, peas and potatoes on the 4th of July or by the 4th of July. And so he would always plant his potatoes very early and peas very early. And the peas would grow to at least two to three feet high. And um, so my grandmother had this, what it felt like a perch. She could look out of her window and see over top of the garden and look down upon the garden. It wasn't just a slight grade. But if we got on the, all the way in the end, we could, we could come around behind what was a, there was a trailer there, and we would sneak behind the trailer. And if we crawled on our bellies, we could crawl into the pea patch um, between the rows, and we thought we were safe. So we would crawl into those rows, and we would look. And normally what happened was the peas were just coming at that time. And so, you know, you had to do some checking to find good peas. A lot of times they were flat and no peas in them. And we would crawl on our bellies in the dirt looking for peas in that pea patch. The problem was, what we didn't understand, was that we weren't very good at staying really low. And there were more than one of us. There was usually three or four or five of us. And we would crawl along on our bellies looking for peas. But Grandma was in her perch out her window and could see us. And during that time, she would say, Daniel William. And she would 
and I'm going to get the switch. And she would chase after us and uh, try to make us mind. I tell you that story because you know as well as I know that there are those moments in our life when we have been called by name. And we instantly know who that person is. They don't have to identify themselves because we know who they are. And in this instance, I can't help but think that Mary didn't remember back in, it's in John 11, where Jesus came to town and Lazarus had died. Uh, and I, I want to read it to you. Uh, John eleven twenty five. This is what I think probably ran through Mary's mind at that moment when, when Jesus said her name. 11, uh, John eleven twenty five. Mary and Martha are together at this moment. Uh, they're sharing uh, this time with Jesus. And this is what Jesus tells Martha. And I'm sure Mary heard the story as well. Jesus tells Martha, Verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, though they, they will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he asked, do you believe that? I can't help that when Jesus said the word Mary, that it didn't flood back into Mary's mind. That reminder that even though he would die, he would still be alive. And that his resurrection uh, was at this moment in their, in their life. And at that moment, she cries out, Rabboni, teacher, friend, because she's so excited when she recognizes who he is. This morning, the stone rolled away means that we have hope. Even in that hopeless time for Mary, there was hope. She recognized that that stone rolled away meant that Jesus had come back to life, that he had been brought back to life, and that she would live a different life from then, from then on. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you believe that that stone was rolled away was hopeless or hopeful, but I wanna encourage you to spend some time thinking about that stone. The final stone in our series. It's the most important stone. That stone was the one that made the difference in our lives. It changed eternity. It turned the world on its head. Jesus rose from the dead, and that's the hope we have. This Easter morning, if you are not uh, in a place to have a relationship with Jesus, I would encourage you to spend some time contemplating that idea. And most of all, asking yourself this question, do I believe that Jesus came out of that grave? Do I believe that he is alive and that he is alive today? That is our hope, church. That is our hope for ourselves. That is our hope in these difficult times. That is our hope as we share it with our friends and our neighbors and our family. 
May it be the hope that you have today. Let us pray. Lord God, I thank you that we can have that hope in you. That, Lord, you unrolled and moved that stone that we might have eternal life. Scripture in the Old Testament, Lord, reminds us that they looked forward to a Messiah. And Lord, we are at that moment in history, in that scripture, that the Messiah would come. He would come and be the king of the world. Lord, we're reminded that even though he was the king, some rejected. Some chose, Lord, not to believe that he would rise from the dead, that he would come from that grave, that the stone would be rolled away. Some were rejected him enough, Lord, that they would cry out, crucify him. And yet, Lord, he came looking for an opportunity to call each of us by our, our name. To gently, quietly call us unto himself. Lord, this Easter morning, may we live our lives in the reflection of a Lord and Savior who called us by name unto himself. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling this morning, who are struggling with physical issues, those who are struggling with emotional issues, those who, Lord, are struggling most of all with spiritual issues this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would draw them close, that as they look at the, the word of God, the word of God in flesh, Jesus, that he came and he lived a perfect life and that he loved us so and that he calls us by name, each of us by name, to come to him. In your name we pray. Amen.